Kyle for leading us this morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 766. 766, and we'll, we'll begin reading there in just a moment. I want to mention a couple of things before we study. Uh, first of all, mark your calendars in a few weeks on Sunday, July the 31st. It's our next fifth Sunday. Uh, you need to be signing up at the Welcome Center for our catered meal together. It's going to be $6. And uh, also on that day, we will be honoring their 13 uh, men and women in our church that are 90 and above. And so that's a great milestone to reach. Uh, not many churches can say they have 13, and we do, and we are proud of them. They mean so much to this church, and so we're going to honor them on that morning and also at lunch. You will want to be here that day. That's all I'm going to say, and uh, it's going to be a great day as we honor them. Second thing I want to mention you know, one of the things I love about Paris and I love about this community, I know from time to time we've had our bumps in the roads and we've had things that we've had to come together and rally for, but for the most part, we have been so blessed in our community to be strong, to be united, to always come together when there's something that needs to be done. That's just the makeup of Paris, Texas and this surrounding area. That is something that we should never take for granted. I don't know if you read this week in the paper on Friday, there's a group in our community that has, that they've been thinking about this and been praying about this and thinking, you know, we are so blessed and we have not had uh, the turmoil and the problems that other places have had in our, uh, in the United States going on right now. And so, as a way to not take that for granted, uh, this Tuesday night at 6 o'clock at Mount Pisgah Baptist Church, uh, there's going to be a group, anybody invited in our community that wants to come together to pray and to give God thanksgiving and praise for what He is doing in our world and specifically right here in Paris, Texas. There's other times where we've come together for a Thanksgiving uh, service. This is another opportunity where we can come together and we can just lift our voices in unison, in unity, and pray and give God the glory for what he is doing specifically right here in Paris, Texas. One of the things that we really wanted to be about in our vision 2025, we wanted to be proactive and we wanted to be reaching out and be a part of good things united efforts in our community and we want Lamar Avenue Church of Christ to be at the forefront of that and so this is a way that we can come together with other people your friends your neighbors other churches and we can go to God in prayer and give him the praise for what he has done the address there at Mount Pisgah is 1002 5th Northeast. And so mark your calendars this Tuesday night and I encourage you to be a part of that time together. When you start going through the gospel story, it's real easy to get caught up in the miracles and the healings 
and all the powerful stories that you see. And those are wonderful. Those are life-changing events. Those are events that transform the very person of who we want to become daily in Christ. But one of the things that you see, and I don't want you to miss this, as you start reading through the Gospels, it is obvious that Jesus sends a message that there will be a day, there will be a time, there will be an hour when my time is up here on this earth. He was preparing his disciples for that. He was preparing all of his followers for that. And that was hard for them to grasp. It was hard for them to understand because they, for lack of better term, to just say they were spoiled to the fact that he was always with them. And they couldn't even comprehend in their mind that there would ever be a day where he would not be right there in their presence. They heard it, but they didn't understand it. And so all the gospel story points to the fact that Jesus is headed to the cross. And in particular, I love how John paints this picture in his gospel. He sends a message from John 1 to the end that it's all about Jesus. And so everything in between that captures that milestone, that it is all about Jesus. Well, a few chapters back in John chapter 13, right as Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, in chapter 13, verse 1, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come or that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And so from John 13 to the end, what we see is Jesus marching forward to the cross. A time of pain, a time of agony, a time of misunderstandings. I mean, so much going on in people's mind. But one thing is clear in Jesus' mind, I'm going to fulfill my Father's will. And granted, we even read from Matthew's gospel this morning, there were those occasions where Jesus would say, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. And yet in the same breath, it's almost as if he is saying, as he's finishing that thought, yet not my will, but yours be done. Is that not a foundational truth that we live by as people of faith? Not my will, but God's will be done. So even though he is saying that, those around him still are trying to grasp what it means. And so as we turn to John 18 this morning, before I read this text, I want to paint a picture for you about the cross. And when you stop and think about it, the cross stands at the very heart of Christianity. I mean, I want you to think about something for a moment. 
it has come to symbolize Christianity to the world over. In our churches, we see crosses, either on a pulpit or somewhere in our buildings, we see a cross. As you drive through, let's just take Paris, for example, where do you see crosses today? You see crosses out on the front lawns of church buildings, on their campuses. We wear crosses. Some of you may be wearing a cross right now in some form or fashion of jewelry. How many of you in your home have, we call it, the wall cross? It's a cross with about, I think the last count was like 27 crosses all in a little collage there on a wall in our dining room. That's one of my favorite places in our home. How many of you have a cross in your home? You see crosses on our Bibles, on the front covers, and on the back covers. You see a cross. Everywhere you look today in our world, you will see a cross that vividly reminds us, my Savior, my Jesus, went to the cross where not only he died, but he gave everything. He gave life in order that we, as people of faith, could have life. And yet, when you look at the cross, you can't help but ask, have we lost what the cross really stands for? Have we lost in our minds what it really means? We've sung songs this morning that have been central to our faith for years. I mean, we've grown up singing these songs. I love them. They are bedrock they are the message of who we are as God's people but then when you go back and look at history and you go back and you start looking at what the cross really stood for you begin to realize the cross was the cruelest form of death made available to the Roman and in our world today where Prisoners have rights in those Western societies which still allow death as a punishment are meant to make every effort to make it as quick and painless as possible. It's easy to forget this, that crucifixion was not just a method of killing people, it was a method designed to do it as painfully as possible. And so here's what would happen. The victim was left hanging naked on a cross many times for days. I mean, just there. Where would, when people would pass by, they would see the victim hanging there, just waiting for their time. And you see the other side to the crucifixion. It was designed to be a very public, humiliating, degrading an offensive time and so it's not just a way of dealing with criminals it was a way of showing how utterly 
painful that it could be and that in the end the message was sent that the person hanging on this cross was just a miserable failure and in many ways that's what many people wanted to paint that's the picture that many people wanted to give about our savior and yet on the other side we sit here today and we read stories about the cross and and we even read it in our scriptures and I'm not sure that we always catch that maybe it's something that we've even taken for granted that Jesus died on a cross I mean we've heard it all of our life haven't we well let me say we've heard it all of our life because it is who we are it is the makeup of Christianity God could have chosen any other form or method that he wanted to because he was God but he didn't he chose it to reveal his ultimate glory by taking this suffering and humiliation upon himself that was the reason that he became human to go to the cross and one of my favorite passages about that is how we began this morning in Philippians chapter 2 where he didn't hold on to it but he just fully embraced it and he became obedient to it to even death on a cross and so right now before we read John 18 we're gonna I'm gonna play a song by Vocal Union called there never was a pulpit like the cross you can close your eyes and listen to the words or you can watch the video in front of you whatever you want to do but I want you to listen to the message of this song there never was a pulpit like the cross Jesus climbed the hill of Calvary and they nailed him on a cross though he had no sin my friend like me submitted like a gentle lamb and let them nail him there and prayed forgive them for they know Mm-hmm. 
such a meeting place as Calvary. There never was a greater lesson preached on love by mortal man. And there never was a pulpit like the cross. A guilty man was hanging on another that day convicted of some thievery his sin and suffering Jesus saw some good in him and he forgave that man and said today into my heaven enter in oh there never was a like the old rugged cross and there never was such a meeting place as Calvary there never was a greater lesson preached on love by mortal man and there never was a pulpit like the cross As you sit and pray in comfort and in finery adorned, without a thought or shame, regret or loss, just think of Jesus on that hill in pain, too awful to be born, and remember that old pulpit called the cross. Oh, there never was a pulpit like the old rugged cross, and there never was such a meeting place as Calvary. There never was a greater lesson preached on love by mortal man, and there never was a name's Gary Miller. Gary passed away about five years ago before one of their concerts where they were going to be singing at a church. He died of a heart attack, sudden. The times that Gary was here and the conversations that he and I would talk about on the phone, I love that man. I asked him one day, I said, of all the songs that you've written, of all the songs that y'all sing, which one's your favorite? He said, oh, that's real easy. There never was a pulpit like a cross. He said, I love that song because, as we were talking about this morning, it's foundational to who we are. Everything points back to the cross. And so 
I want you to listen to John's gospel of how he pens these words in John 18. When he had finished praying, Jesus left his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. And they're carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Well, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And again, he asked them, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. And so if you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Do you see who he's reaching out to? Do you see who he's thinking about in verse 8? It's not himself. He's thinking about his disciples and those that are around him and those that are witnessing this conversation. And what is, what's his message? Let them go. I mean, if, you've, if this is going to happen, it needs to be me. But you let these people go because they are just as innocent as they can be. And this happened in verse 9 so that the words that he's spoken would be fulfilled. I've not lost one of those you gave me. And then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I want to stop right there and we'll pick up in just a moment. Now I want you to notice a few things in this passage. Jesus knew that his betrayal was coming and the arrest that would follow in the garden. And so he's identifying himself to the soldiers who approached him. And you notice he makes no attempt to escape. He offers no resistance at all. It's just a conversation that he is having with this group. And you've got this small group of soldiers and chiefs with Judas, and they're there for one reason. They are looking for Jesus. Jesus knew that. And, I mean, they're prepared. They've got lanterns. They've got torches. I mean, they are ready for action. And at that moment, Jesus could have turned, he could have walked away, he could have ran away, he could have maybe prayed himself away, I don't know. He could have done anything because it's Jesus. But instead, he just willingly and willfully is there for them to do whatever they think they need to do 
What a beautiful picture of our Savior. Are there times when you and I want to just run and just walk away from it all? Are there times where we just say, you know, what's the point? What's the use? But do you see what Jesus does? Even when he knows what's coming, and it's not pleasant, he is in for it all, isn't he? I mean, he is fully in to the mission. Because he knows if I back away now, if I leave this point now, I will not be fulfilling my Father's desires. I will not be fulfilling my Father's will. And all through the story of the gospel, what we see is Jesus goes through it all to fulfill the mission of God. What an example for us that regardless of what we may think lies ahead, we march forward by faith, not because it's something we want to do, but we march forward because it's the will of the one who gave us life. And so we're living and we're doing things and we're sometimes, as we call it, surviving, but we do all of that because of Jesus and with what's impending Jesus is still thinking of others and so they get their answer and they he says Jesus of Nazareth that's who I am and notice they're looking for Jesus the carpenter from a place called Nazareth and I tell you what they didn't have that kind of work for him to do either. That was not their mission at all. And I can't help but go back to John 1, verse 46, of what Nathaniel said. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But again, when they ask the questions, Jesus says, I'm he. It's almost like, I told you that a minute ago, but I'll tell you again, I'm, I'm the one you're looking for. Okay? Not these men but I'm it. And so at that point, it means so much, or it should, to those around him. And he didn't put it off on somebody else. He took it upon himself. I mean, here's the one who is the great miracle worker. Here's the one who everybody drops at their feet and wants to listen to because he has something meaningful to say and to pass on to others. Here's the one that, again, could have just said, I'm gone. But what does he do? He says, I'm it. I'm the one you're looking for. Here I am. And when you start looking through this passage John uses a lot of symbols and a lot of pictures. And one of the ones that he uses here is the garden. And 
something that the garden stands for and means even in our life today. The garden was a place of obedience. And so when you go back and you, and you look at this, when I was 18 years ago, when I was, at, when I was on the tour of the Holy Lands, we walked this path. We walked the path of the Kidron Valley. Beautiful. That leads up to the garden. The Kidron's located east of Jerusalem between the old city wall and the Mount of Olives. And the Garden of Gethsemane is on the western slope there. And so as Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's a time of obedience because, again, it could have passed in any other way, but no, Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And so he gives himself and he submits himself fully to the will of the Father. Can't help but wonder, do we do that in our life today? Fully? I mean, we struggle with the, with the idea of submission anyway in our world. But now we're asked to submit fully to God? Now let's face it. Some days are better than others on submission, right? Some days are easier to submit than others. This would have been a moment where Jesus could have said, you know what, I don't think so. There's got to be another way for this to happen. But instead he says, I've got to do this because it's part of the plan. And so you keep reading there about Judas. You think about it. Here's a guy who had lived and followed Jesus for about three years now. He had listened to him teach, but yet he knew very little about him. It was almost like the words just kind of come in one ear and out the other. But when you start reading about Judas here, you begin to realize, you know, where's he been all this time? Where was he when Jesus predicted all of this but standing there he realized there would be no need to battle with Jesus he had nothing Jesus had nothing to fear and nothing to hide and if you go back to Matthew's gospel there in chapter uh, 26 that we read a minute ago verses 48 and 49 Judas arranged that he would be the one to identify Jesus by the kiss now, you think about it. In that day, a kiss was a sign of affection. It was a sign that you were really close to this person and you would greet people with a kiss and you would part ways with a kiss. Family members especially would do that. Disciples would even kiss the rabbis as a way of greeting them which was a sign of obedience. We're going to obey what you're doing. We're going to submit to your authority. 
And so they would signify that with a kiss. Jesus' only request in John 18, you see it in verse 8, and here's Judas standing with the enemy, not with Jesus, not with the other followers. He's standing there with the enemy, but yet in verse 8, Jesus' only request is what? That my disciples be allowed to leave. They can be allowed to go free. Now look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, there's another symbol, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Now there, that picture of a sword is nothing but rebellion. Okay? Now in Peter's defense... While all the disciples had affirmed their devotion to Christ, going back to Matthew 26, verse 35, Peter decided, you know, I'm going to prove it by battling. And I'm going to, if it takes drawing the sword to go to battle for him, I'm going to do it. But yet, all along, through the story of the gospel, what does Jesus teach his followers? You don't fight battles that way. You don't fight battles the way that you think you should. This is a spiritual battle, and you don't go to war with your sword. So in Peter's mind, this symbol of the sword translates to a rebellious spirit, a rebellious attitude. Because what Peter is doing is, He's rebelling against the will of God. He's fighting the wrong enemy, using the wrong weapon, with the wrong motive, which always leads to you're going to get the wrong result. And so I want you to pick up, as we close here, pick up verse 11. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And then the detachment of soldiers with his commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and they bound him and brought him first to Annas who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. And then Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus and because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. And the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not, you are not one of the disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It's cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm, and Peter was standing with them, warming himself. And meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. And I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? 
If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, then why did you strike me? And then Annas sent him, still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And as Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Real quick, go back to verse 11. Two other symbols you see. You see the cup, which means submission. And at any other time, Jesus would have said no. But he knew this time was different because the cup had been prepared by his father. His father's all around it, all in it. And he knew that. And that's why he said, I accept his cup. Why else would I deny it? A way of submission. But notice who it was that bound Jesus. It was the enemies. They bound him in order for him to be helpless under their power. I mean, they didn't want him to have any way to retaliate. And so they bound him. And they bound him for him to be harmless in their presence. In their mind, they've got him exactly where they want him. And then another symbol that you can't help but miss, can't help but see, from about verse 15 down to the end, verse 27 that we just read, you see the fire, which is a picture of denial. Peter is slowly beginning to just move closer and closer to the crowd and to the enemies. And he's standing there. And every time he's asked, do you know this man? No. Again, Jesus predicted it, and it comes true. Peter denies him. Can't help but wonder in our own life, are there times that we try to bound the hands of Jesus? Folks, he's been set free. He's been set free for us. And those times that we try bind him shame on us they're free for us and so you think about it Jesus going to the cross there's all sorts of guilt that's in his mind some of the disciples are betraying him some of the disciples are there denying him the mob is there just trying to make make this thing look so ugly. And yet, he goes to the cross. 
and dies for us. And you know what our response should be to that every day? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Because he died, we've been set free. Because he died, we have life. And as we are on the mission with Jesus, I pray that we will never give up because that's the example that we see from Jesus as he's on his way to the cross. He could have thrown the towel in. He could have quit several times, many times over, but he didn't. And yet we keep, we keep hearing those words, yet not my will, but yours be done. And when we think of the cross, may we think of that message. Not my will, but yours be done. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And our response to that means everything. This morning, we already have one that's coming forward to say yes to that message to put on Christ in baptism and there may be others and we're here this morning to help you with that the cross should always be central to everything that we do may we never lose sight of that let's stand as we sing this song